0: As a counterpoint to our recent negatively charged episode about our most disappointing games, we've flipped the idea on its head, and in this episode of Octal FM, we discuss games that surprised us.
1: Hello and welcome to an episode of Optal I'm Saffron. And I'm Gilardo. And we're following on from a, an episode we did not too long ago now, where we did games that disappointed us. Mm. And you brought up in that episode that, well, actually Tony mentioned it to you, yeah. that <laughs> that's a bit of a negative topic. <laughs> so we thought we'd take that and we'd run with it and we mm. flipped it on its head. So today we're doing kind of the opposite and it's games that surprised us, positively mostly, I would say. Yeah so like last time we talked about games that maybe like we had preconception about we were like quite excited for and then we played them we were like oh and what came from that discussion wasn't so much that they were like bad just that they were like just kind of average just Mm -hmm. kind of whatever very disposable whereas today uh, we haven't really talked about our sort of like thoughts and choices with each other yet which will be fun but today's Mm -hmm. sort of the opposite it's a case of like Games that we just sort of ended up playing for whatever one reason or another, and we were like, oh, wow, this is really good, and mm. ended up putting quite a lot of time into and really enjoying and thinking about quite a lot. So I'm going to start off, and I know what's interesting is what the only thing I do know about what you've done is that my games are much older, mm. and your games are much younger. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start off with my newest game and work backwards. Okay. And the game that most surprised me for how much I enjoyed it and then subsequently how much time I put into it, because God knows i put way too much time into this game, uh, was from 2007. It was from November 2007. Do you, have, do you want to have a guess? Uh, hmm. I'm not sure. I first played the demo with you
0: at a LAN event at oh. your
1: university.
0: Mm. Is it... Um, uh, We've talked about it before. Strategy game. No, it's oh. not a strategy game it's Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare oh what okay I know (laughs) yeah you didn't expect that one did you I was not expecting that no so
1: like up until this point I was I like first person shooters like because we used to play like uh, Mm. Counter-Strike 1.6 and Source together yeah and we'd also played a little bit of things here and there things like we'd battlefield 2 and, mm. and unreal tournament and stuff like that but it was mostly just that it was just one other game to play like it we didn't specifically play first person shooters because we wanted to necessarily that was just because they were fun games and then that all changed for me when i played cod 4 like i said the very first time i played it was actually at a lan event at your university mm. where i came to visit you and it was like a weird sort of like full fleshed out demo of the multiplayer yeah, and it just hooked me from the second i started playing i i remember being quite obsessed with it almost straight away
0: it had such it, a because they that cod 4 invented a lot of that sort of stuff that we now take for granted right in first but in multiplayer first-person shooters in terms of like the perk system and all of that kind of stuff right that was first in that one
1: it did a lot of firsts so it, i think we may have touched on that in the past actually yeah. on the show Um, in how kind of revolutionary it was for the first-person shooter genre. Mm. Because if you think that's still being felt even now, like, I mean, hell, the most recent installment within the Call of Duty franchise is just simply called Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Yeah. Um, Just to confuse things. And so many of those games still carry over quite a lot of the gameplay mechanics like i don't mean obviously in terms of the shooting because well i mean it's a first person shooter but in terms of things like you said like the perk system the kill streak system Mm. uh, the just the way in which the game flows because up until this point they were either straight death matches or they were straight team death matches whereas this introduced like the ability to have sort of more not strategic, that more objective-based gameplay. Yes. Whilst also still having the deathmatch style of gameplay, because you had things like Counter Strike, for example, where you had sort of like you know defuse and, and rescue and uh, yeah. things like that. But it was that was like when you when you died, that was it for the end of the round. Whereas mm-hmm. Call of Duty was like it's still a shooter, it's still like a deathmatch mode. But you also have these things to do as well, like... Hmm. And you could do those things too, don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, it just added lots of new gameplay elements to the shooter genre that are still being used to this day. And one of the things that doesn't get enough attention was, like, how good its single player was, like, for the time. I mean... had the idea of jumping between different protagonists from different like storylines that sort of like intersect a little bit here and there Mm. and this was also just before it went a little bit over the top and went a bit sort of like Tom Clancy-esque like you know, end of the world cold yeah. war sort of like uh style storylines. And it was just really fun. Like the story, the story was quite enjoyable from like a serious point of view. Had some really cool set pieces, like the the nuke set piece obviously is, is so iconic. Mm. And they've pretty much reused that in every other subsequent <laughs> game and just everything felt really nice well like they added some like the the different gameplay sections where for example like you were in the the, the, the AC 130 sort of like gunship thing mm. in the sky and you had to like shoot down and protect your guys from like you know a mile in the air or whatever that mm. was really used interesting and unique they had the whole stealth ex- uh, section where you had to kind of go around Pripyat in in the Ukraine like the Chernobyl disaster area it was just all really unique and interesting gameplay for what has now become known as sort of like the de facto basic shooter, which at the time it, it was anything but basic, you know, it was it was really quite uh, groundbreaking. Hmm. And so that alone puts it on the list for me of how surprising it was not how much I enjoyed the single player. But then you take into account the fact that the multiplayer just ate up like ooh, probably two or three years of my life. <laughs> you know, like I was playing this one well into when the sixth game came out because i think between modern warfare and modern warfare 2 you had world at war i think which was sort of like yeah. a call back to like world war 2-esque era fighting uh and, you know this this game took a lot of my time up and it obviously resonates with a lot of people as well because they did the uh call of Duty 4 modern warfare remastered game as well which I think came with, like, Infinite Warfare or something, if you bought, like, mm. the pre-order package or something. But most people just wanted the remaster of this game. Mm. Um, and that caused quite a lot of uproar. And it's still more expensive now to buy on, like, Steam than it is, like, the games that it was attached to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it just shows the the legacy that this game holds.
0: Yeah, is it still being... Do people still play it, the multiplayer? I guess they probably do. Maybe I'm on
1: guessing, like, maybe small like private servers right for the original game but the I imagine a lot of people are still playing the remastered version mm. because that's kind of got to have more modern network facilities mm. like you know be able to join easily and stuff through that because yeah. I mean it was 2007 that, this was back in the day when you still had to join sort of like independent servers yeah, by like whatever yeah. companies rather than
0: it just being sort of all dedicated fire say like steam yeah. or st- xbox or whatever only just starting to get the concept of like quick match joining and yeah. stuff like that yeah that point, it, it we were still
1: you still have to worry about like port forwarding and like net mm. type restrictions yeah. and stuff like that like that was still a thing
0: yeah um
1: at that point point. and one of the things as well is that the game has been modded a little bit as well like for example you can play prop hunt in call of duty 4 modern right. warfare uh, you know, the idea of like you turning into like a little prop and then people running around trying to find you within a level, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is pretty mad when you consider that you know it's supposed to be like a realistic military shooter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like that was that, that was one that surprised obviously it was good and it's known to have been good, yeah, but for me, it surprised me so much
0: about how much it grabbed me. Nice, well, from one FPS to another, my uh, my first choice for games that have surprised me the most it was There's time shift because you really liked that game was <laughs> <laughs> something that um I didn't specifically spot and in fact it came through a like a LAN recommendation if you like and it's uh, it's become quite a staple at the LANs um, and that is Deep Rock Galactic ah nice choice yeah it's uh, still in early access it's made by a Danish uh, indie studio and uh, it's a co-op first person shooter so you play as a team of I think the maximum is four four
1: yeah i think it's four
0: um because there are four classes it's got a sort of like kind of voxel-y um sort of art style kind of like polygonal uh mm. not pixelated but more sort of like jaggedy sort of kind of cartoony um, yeah I, I know what you mean it's style. hard to describe isn't it yeah but i know what you mean basically you play as a dwarf space dwarf a space dwarf you play as a space dwarf and you take on as a team you take on missions that vary in their difficulty and sort of length uh, and there's not a huge variety in the in the sort of things you can do but it tends to be like you basically go down into like a procedurally generated cave so the missions are slightly different every time and there are different kind of biomes for each of the um caves and missions if you like and you might be that you need to it's sort of like It's a first-person shooter, but also there's, like, mining involved. So you have to mine, like, special types of minerals. uh, And sometimes your mission might ask you to mine certain things, or it might ask you to, like, collect these special gems or steal these, like, alien eggs. And the whole, it's PvE, so it's like you're a team of four and you're getting through this cave and doing some mining, and then the whole time there are, like, swarms of aliens, like, insect bug aliens attacking Mm. attacking you uh and there's a bit of variety in those different ones some of them are small and easy to kill some of them are massive you have like periodically there's like a swarm mechanic where like suddenly there's loads and loads and you can cool down supplies and stuff like that when you run out there's like a limited amount of ammo that you have and you can only cool down a couple of extra uh, ammo based on what you mine like you need to mine a particular mineral and then you can use that to cool down a sort of drop pod of supplies Hmm. but i think what's what sort of caught me is like i say i didn't find it myself it was something that was kind of recommended for the lands but it's just really fun and it is yeah like it requires a really really strong amount and and a really high amount of teamwork like you've Hmm. got to stick together you've got to talk about where you're going and each of the four classes has like a unique sort of non-combat thing that they can do. Mm -hmm. Like the scout um, can uh, launch like, uh, like the caves are all dark. So you have like little uh, like flares you can throw, but also the scout can like put up a sort of fixed flare that lasts a lot longer that it can shoot into like the, the sky or, you know, the the top of the cave. Mm,
1: Yeah. Rather Um, than just throwing it like just in front of you.
0: And also the scout has like a zip line, not a zip line, but like a, grappling hook a grappling hook yeah but then the thing is is if you want to like grapple up to the wall somewhere you need somewhere to stand so then you have another class i think it's the the engineer it's the engineer right yeah and the engineer can put platforms like fire these platforms that attach to the wall so you've got this like you know you might there's like communication where you can point at something and and highlight it in the in the cave if you like um so like as the scout you might be like oh there's like a mineral up here so you target it and then the engineer can fire you a little platform and then you go up and mine it. Um, there's also a driller who can like really quickly dig through. So if you need to like get out quickly or something like that, then they can like make these massive tunnels for you very quickly. And then you have a gunner who can put down turrets. Is that right? Yeah.
1: No, the engineer puts down turrets. Oh, the engineer the, puts down the turrets. So, the yeah.
0: gunner has the ability to use like, the zip lines. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the gunner can put down like a zip line to for the whole team to like traverse mm. from one area to another. Like getting across like a big
1: chasm or something. One of the things that you mentioned, which I I really like about the game, and it's almost like not particularly important to the gameplay, kind of, but it's still such a fascinating feature they've added is that everything's destructible. So, mm. like you mentioned, that the driller can get somewhere really quickly because everything can be can be dug out and yeah. everything can be mined, sort of like so Minecraft style, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you see on your sort of, like, weird, like, 3D hollow map type thing that there's some minerals, like, behind this wall where you are, but there's no obvious path to it, because everything's mostly path for you. Um, You just have to follow, like, the tunnel system. The driller can just go, I'm going that way, and just Mm. go through the wall. Yeah. You know? And obviously, for most people, the other classes, they can't do that very effectively because it takes too long, but the driller can just go straight through it. Yeah. So you can be quite creative with the way in which you approach certain Mm. situations. Like Mm. even in combat situations, you can do it because you could like make a tunnel to escape into, for example, if you want to take on like a big boss that can't follow you through such a small tunnel, or you can make it so that maybe you like hollow out a large area so you can fight something in a a larger area that you have more room to move around in, Mm. you know, so you can really manipulate the environment to your advantage.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, hundred percent. And each mission as well is is kind of interesting because, like you say, like the map is sort of dug out for you. There's like a there is quite a like linear or there tends to be quite a linear path, and it's sort of like explore the whole cave, and you will probably have done the mission. Hmm. Um, and then once you do that, you then have to get back again. So you're like depositing minerals into this little robot that's following you around called a mule, and then at the end when you've done all the objectives there's normally like a primary objective and some secondary objectives that are optional Mm -hmm. you then have to recall the mule back to the like rocket that you landed on and you also have to go back with it um to and like as much of the team as possible needs to get back and then it becomes sort of almost like a little bit of a race back because then you've got more things attacking you um and you've got to try and get back to where you were and so when you're exploring the caves you're always thinking like how are we going to get back the way like if you fall down a cliff you've got to get back up that cliff later like you can't just do that and then that's the end you've got to always be able to get back again that's where also the driller can come in real handy because Mm -hmm. they can just make a beeline straight for the rocket um to get there if if it's difficult for you to traverse the terrain Uh, and there's also a timer on getting back as well so it's a little bit of a becomes a race against the clock so there's lots of there's so much variety and everything Mm. there's sort of because it's procedural you can't learn everything and sometimes you get really lucky and you don't get attacked very much sometimes you get really unlucky and so there's a lot of like you know each every round is very different uh, and the difficulty really really ramps up as it well can do yeah absolutely and it gets really 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 tough and there, alongside that alone all of that is great but alongside that you've also got like a persistent leveling mechanic Mm -hmm. where you can for each class you can upgrade a skill it's kind of weird in that it's not equal across the classes so if you invest heavily in one class you kind of there's not you're not really incentivized or it doesn't feel like you're incentivized to then play another class because it's like that class is now low down in your yeah like in terms of your ability so i mean unless
1: you're playing the game a lot it's not too much of a problem because if you're playing with friends like especially at the lands for example like usually you'll have your go-to class anyway right. for everybody exactly. and everyone sort of like sticks to that sort of that strategy exactly but like you say if you want to switch it up you end up having like a essentially a weaker play a character because you haven't got certain skills unlocked and you haven't got certain equipment unlocked, etc. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's, it surprised me because it just seemed like a, you know, a cool land game to play, but actually there's a surprising amount of depth and variety. Um, and it feels really well polished. Hmm. It's still in early access, but there's, you know, there's been lots of ongoing updates. The most recent one was just last month. Um, so, you know, they're really kind of, continuing to develop it and build on it i expect that they'll probably add new classes at some point yes but at the moment i think that they're really focusing on adding more content and sort of end game stuff as well and making Mm -hmm. sure that the game has a lot of length to it and a lot of things you can do
1: it's got great replayability which is perfect for like a
0: multiplayer land style game
1: yeah and if you play it like consistently over the course of say several weeks or something you you will probably get a little bored with it because like The procedure generation can only do so much to keep things fresh. Yes. But if you're playing just every so often with friends like alan for example, it's perfect for that.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so that was... Uh, I definitely found that surprising um, and have put, you know, quite a few hours into it and will continue to put hours into it because, as you say, it, it remains fresh if you play it reasonably infrequently.
1: One for me, which doesn't remain fresh anymore because of how much I've probably played it over the years. <laughs> and this is going back even further. Uh, this game was released in 1998 in Europe. Oh my God. And it is Yoshi's Story on ah, the Nintendo okay. 64. Yeah. So the reason for this is this would seem like a bit of an odd choice because like it's the Yoshi game. Of course it's good. Like, you know, we're a Nintendo fanboy. So why would it surprise us that it was good? <laughs> well, it was primarily because of when I played it, like I think I played it pretty close to its original release, mm-hmm. 1998 sort of area. So I'd have only been about 10 years old. And although I'd been playing games for a few years at this point, I still wasn't sort of like as in the know-how, sort of like I wasn't as as versed in gaming culture at this mm. point. So I wasn't like aware it was coming out. And I wasn't aware of what it was about, etc. Right. So it was a case of like, I played it randomly at a friend's house, I think. And I was like, oh, this is going to be rubbish like it's a it's a weird sort of storybook game it's a baby's game or whatever and i played i was like this is so fun this is such <laughs> a fun game because it's such a weird departure from the, the traditional sort of mario series which is connected Definitely.
0: to with being you know yoshi and it was considered quite a departure at the time right like it was mm-hmm. a little bit um marmite in that you know people really Mm. couldn't decide i think now in hindsight people look back and and sort of it is quite a cult kind of classic but at the time i don't think it really lived up to the sort of reputation um if you like of of yoshi's island well that's the game i was going to talk about was yoshi's island was that was such
1: a huge success and for me that's probably my favorite like early era mario game um Mm. like i prefer yoshi's island over super mario world for example i know that's quite a hot take um (laughs) but i absolutely adore yoshi's island i love the style of gameplay it's a little bit slower um i love the the music and i love the art style because it's got that sort of like um crayon-esque art style to Mm, it yes it's it's so unique and, and fun whereas super mario world just felt like the best of everything it like it didn't try anything Particularly outrageous, but it was mm. just really good at everything it did do. Mm. Yoshi's Island was such a weird departure from all of that because it it, it was a platformer, but it was more about like the puzzles mm. and the there was almost a collectathon as well because you had to collect like the fruits and everything as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, between in, in the missions than it was about like a pure platforming of skill like there Mm. was some skill involved absolutely but it was less about that and that shines through to the other yoshi games over the years as well with things like yoshi's woolly world and roshi's crafted world and and things like that in that they those games follow both a very similar style of gameplay but they also follow a similar style of like artistic styling Mm. so that this was the one where like everything was sort of made out of cardboard and had like weird props for things which obviously follows very closely into like crafted and woolly world and the game when i say when i played it was i i was really surprised that i liked it and i was almost embarrassed that i liked it i remember when i was like young mm. i was like I, I can't like this this is a baby's game but i was like i really enjoyed it and i played it through more than i can care to remember because a bit like how we were talking about with uh deep rock in that it has some cool replayability to it as well because You can take like different routes through the game Mm. because each sort of stage is a page in a pop-up book, and then every stage has like four levels to choose from, Mm. and you don't have to do them in the same order every time. You can do them in different orders, and they Mm. lead to different things. And I think inevitably it leads to basically the same end result, but it just means that you can kind of choose your own playthrough. Mm. It was very, it was a very chilled-out game. Like it wasn't stressful. It wasn't like high octane. It was pretty relaxed. I really enjoy my time with it at the time and I now look back at it with with very fond memories mm-hmm. and I was surprised at that at the time.
0: Mm, nice. Yeah, I re- I remember playing it as well. I mean, I I must admit, I'd really, it was a long time ago, right? I do not mm. remember a lot about it now. I feel like maybe they should do a, a re-release of it. Um, yeah, they I, could do. It's I 20 think, years old now. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely due one. Um, that's for sure. I remember it looking really good as well, you know, mm. for the for the time because it was 2D it was 2d at a time when 3d was possible and so but it didn't the, look amazing yeah and so it was like you know top end 2d of the time kind of thing well from i've got a sort of my middle game is a little bit of a like honorable mention in a way because it's quite a recent one and we've talked about it um mm. and that is my industry right like i couldn't ah, really nice, talk yeah. about most surprising games without mentioning um my sort of stumble across Mindustry, um which we talked about quite recently in a, in a soundbite um but if you don't remember um i found it by looking on github and i was looking through <laughs> the like trending repositories on <laughs> github to see if there were any cool software development libraries or like bits of tech or frameworks that i hadn't heard about and i was like one of the top ones weirdly was the source code for this game Mindustry. and i was like that's Weird, like that's quite unusual on GitHub to see like a game's source code being (laughs) considered trending. So I took a look at it and I was like, well, if it's free, then I was like, this sounds kind of cool. It's like a hybrid tower defense and factory game. It's made by one person on their own. You can get it on itch for free um, or you can pay what you want on itch or you can get it on steam. And I think it's something like a Fiverr or something on steam. And so I guess that's why it's, a, that's why I consider it surprising because I wasn't really expecting anything. Most of the time, open source games are really bad hmm. because they tend not to have enough polish and enough direction. But I guess this is different because it is actually only made by one person. And a lot of the time, open source games are made by teams or communities you know mm. contributing to the same game and that tends to as with all open source stuff it tends to lead in in a in a catastrophic lack of direction yeah it muddies the waters too much it does it does but you know because it is just one person it's i guess that kind of helps sort of Stargy valley style if you like mm, yes yeah and yeah it's it's still in active development but it's very very polished um it's really really stable and it's just really fun I've, i'm still sinking you know sinking a good few hours into it um a week you know playing around with it i really want to try the multiplayer out on it i don't know it, it appeals to the transport tycoon deluxe like mm, uh, organ inside of me <laughs> if you like yeah perfecting your your setup yeah just right absolutely and you know when i f- actually when i started well, i think when we talked about it last time i was like it's not really that hard it's quite easy. But the difficulty in some of the later maps is like really ramping up um, mm. and it's becoming quite a challenge. So uh yeah, it's like it's continuing to surprise me as the That's more good. I play it.
1: Yeah. You have to optimize your you build everything yeah. just right.
0: And like there's uh, there's still loads of like different types of things that I haven't unlocked. You know, the tech tree is enormous mm. and just keeps getting bigger. I'm like, there are so many things in this in this game that you can do um just off some of the basic kind of building blocks and concepts. Um, so yeah, that's been a real surprise. You know, a 2019 surprise has been Mindustry for sure. It's really, really, really good fun. Um, and if you like, I think that's the best kind of game to surprise you as well, because
1: you initially got it for free, yeah, and you weren't expecting anything from it at all because no. you weren't you weren't even looking for it. And no, then yeah, out of nowhere, it's like this game that's kind of consumed so much of your free time but in a positive way
0: yeah absolutely and you know i hadn't heard of it before i hadn't read any reviews i didn't read any reviews before starting to play it i just literally was like yeah i'll give it a go that made it even more surprising because so much nowadays is you you know you hear about a game like you said with yoshi's story you know so much of the time nowadays you hear about games you know what they are before you pick them up you know you know what to expect but this was a you know an example a, a sort of rare example of not having that um, for a game
1: my last one is a lot older now Like <laughs> now we, we're getting in the, the way way back machine now like this is early pc days really early pc days and this was in it says it just says eu 1996 that's how old it is it doesn't have a like a Whew. confirmed release date because it just sort of probably started appearing in like magazines and like computer fairs and stuff like that right and this comes from a developer that we gave quite a lot of stick to in our disappointing games. Oh, <laughs> this comes from Maxis. Oh, okay. But it was designed by Will Wright, so I mean, you know, it's a little better than it than how SimCity Society's ended up. <laughs> and that is SimCopter. Oh, have you, have you ever played SimCopter?
0: I have played a bit of SimCopter. Yeah. SimCopter holds a
1: very special place in my heart. Let me tell you. So, for a little bit of background. Um, <laughs> Simcopter was like a, in, within a series of games put out by Maxis, sort of like during the the highlight days mm. of when they'd released SimCity and then they'd made SimCity 2000, and they'd made games like Sim Ant and Sim Coaster or, uh, and things like that. And Simcopter was another one of that, like, collection of games that they made. And. It was unique in that it used the data from SimCity 2000 maps that you created to create the cities which you flew around in in your little helicopter. Oh, yeah, of course. Which is... When do you think for 1996? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, you think... Even if you incorporate something like that nowadays, that's like, oh, that's pretty cool. You put user-generated content within, like, a, a separate game. I that's pretty about unique. That.
0: that is quite a, like, serious, you know, that's quite a serious trick for 1996, right?
1: Now, obviously, the graphics being as limited as they were, you weren't going to see much of your, like, immaculately created city as you would do in the original game. No. But it's still pretty cool, like, to have that uh, conversion over. And then another, just along the Wikipedia page for now, actually, I didn't realise this. This was also the first game that introduced Simlish. (laughs) So in The Sims, when they're all speaking, you know, gibberish, they're speaking Simlish. And this was the game that introduced that as well. Which is interesting because the game also uses, like, regular English as well. Mm. So that's, like, a weird mix between the two. But anyway, um, the game itself is you play as, like, a helicopter pilot. And you start off in, like, a small town. And you've got a really basic little, like, dinky helicopter. And you just take on jobs. So, it's you know, you have to transport people, like, a bit of, like, a spoke taxi service and you have to like help out with like traffic jams by like you know giving directions to cars to break them up a little bit so that there's like mm. less of a jam and then as you go on through the game you get harder and harder like challenges you have to complete so for example you might have to like help put out a fire by like dropping water from a bucket or like a hose or whatever or dispatching emergency services to certain you know events that might happen like if there's like a robbery or something Mm. you might have to like dispatch a police car and then like tail the, the car that's running away and that sort of thing and it had a surprising variety of missions again for such an old game you know with such a limited tool set to work with it was quite deep In how much mission content there was and how much variety there was to do within a game, which is just essentially flying a helicopter around like a really dodgy looking 3D city. (laughs) Um, It
0: was the frame rate quite low as well. I seem to
1: remember it it being. It was like possibly single digits. Yeah, I remember Um, the performance of this game being abysmal. (laughs) And it had the. It very much felt like you were playing in Silent Hill in that there was just fog everywhere <laughs> you know there was a slider in your helicopter like increase or decrease fog and i was like at the time when i was like you know eight years old playing this game i was like why would i not just have the fog on minimum so i can see further and then my like eight-year-old brain couldn't comprehend the idea of like frame rate drops or whatever. <laughs> but like i didn't care it was just such a fun game and it was also at a time as well where open world games were not really the norm. Like, I would argue this is sort of a similar sort of time as things like Daggerfall, for example. Right. You know, and the original Fallout. This is when, like, open world games were not really what we think of open world games now. And this is almost that, because you're not on a set path. You can do what you want you just have to accept missions and fly around and do them in whatever order you want yes and you can go on land back at your base and buy new helicopters and buy upgrades for those helicopters and stuff like that so you, you were very much left to your own devices for the most part which was quite unique at the time as well i feel it was just a lot of fun and it's a it's not there's so many games that i played when i was a kid because like i had an amiga 600 as well like growing up and you know, there's loads of games on there I can think of as well, which I got. oh, that was cool in nostalgia. But this is a game that I only a couple of years ago bought on Amazon and tried to make work on my Windows 10 PC. And <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, you have to go through some a lot of hoops to make it work. Yeah. But, like, it, that's what I mean by how surprising of a game it was in that we are, what, 23 years on from its original release, I'm still thinking and talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's how much of a kind of an impact it had on me because of how cool it was and how fun it was. So I, if you get a chance to watch some YouTube footage, don't go out of your way to try and make it work. It's an absolute <laughs> ball ache on modern PCs. Um, but it's, it's really fun to watch. And you'd be like, oh, what's this just blocky polygonal rubbish? Like, no, but it, it's worth it. it it's definitely <laughs> worth checking out. It has a lot of charm to it as well. Like, it has... Uh, quite a lot of like little silly easter eggs and like kind of like uh, campy jokes and in fact one of the developers got in quite a lot of serious trouble because they put sort of like a gay joke reference in the game promoting like gay rights and they had to recall the game and like patch it and stuff Mm -hmm. this was like again in 1996 when this thing was a lot less uh, accepted so like it has an interesting history to otherwise would be a forgettable game
0: you know nice well my final choice um is from 2007 so this is mm. my this is my oldest choice it's the best year of gaming and uh it's an mmo Oh, uh, and it is lord of the rings online oh i thought you were going to say that the reason why there's there's lots of small reasons why the lord of the rings online for me deserves a, uh, a place in my list of most surprising games it's quite a traditional mmo in, in in many ways. Uh, you can still play it now. It's it's free to play. Um, they are still very occasionally releasing updates for it. I don't think there's a huge amount of updates going on now. It was originally made by a company called Turbine. They didn't make a lot else. They also made a and d online, which I, I think was a bit of a flop. Um, mm-hmm. It's now all owned and looked after by Warner Brothers. And yeah, it was originally, it was sort of, Obviously, the main premise is it's Lord of the Rings. And this is, you know, a few years after the films came out. So sort of still very much at the kind of high of Lord of the Rings as a mm-hmm. as a brand, if you like. Yeah, very much in the cultural eye at the time. Definitely, definitely. What was surprised? There was like things about it that surprised me. It was surprisingly in keeping with the books, not the films, mm. but the books. Like they decided to kind of not ignore the films but a lot of it kind of is like the films didn't exist and it really focuses more on the books rather than the films so there's a lot of story in the mmo that just doesn't doesn't happen in the films and is actually straight out of the books instead and other things like considering it's an mmo it is very respectful of the original you know like source material Mm. if you like so for example there's no magic magic there's no wizard class. You can't like be a wizard in Lord yeah. of the Rings Online because it's like there were only in the in the lore. There's only like seven of them or something. Yeah. Like they're, and there are they are, are no special. Wizards. Yeah. So you can't play as one. There is a Sort of a master, similar problem is, like Star Wars MMOs faced with the problem right, of playing a Jedi. A hundred percent. And actually that's a great comparison because this is also, you know, you did have like Star Wars Galaxies and stuff like that, which is kind of around the same time. And, you know, Lord of the Rings Online succeeded where sort of Star Wars MMOs all kind of failed hmm. in that they managed to balance MMO with source material in a way that worked, you know. And so things like, yeah, there's no magic. Um, there's no wizard class. They had, they had sort of concepts that are like, they're quite, they're very video gamey, but they also make sense. Like, uh, there's the concept of legendary weapons, which are weapons that gain experience and like level up with you. And so it's like, you can imagine how that fits in with the lore in the sense that it's like... You've got this weapon that over time is, like, becoming this legendary named artifact sort of thing. And you don't have to, like, just throw away your sword and get a new sword when you get a, you know, you find a better one. It's like you keep the same sword or the same bow or whatever over time.
1: I feel that's something that a lot of games haven't utilized enough. It's a little bit tangential, but, like yeah like the reason weapons become sort of powerful and like sought after in like you say a ledge in the fantasy universe is because they were used by like legendary warriors or whatever like that legendary warrior had to get it at some point when it was just a normal sword right yeah exactly like i think that's a great concept that i don't think it's been used often enough or expanded upon enough and i guess from a game point of view it's kind of hard to balance because like there's no it's hard to reward players and feel like you know powerful when you've still got the same sword you started off with from the very beginning but then it also gives you a sense of like progression
0: yeah exactly like it has it's like like your weapons have like skill trees and you know like pu- like a way that you can spec them kind of thing to like be as more of one type than another and stuff like that the other things that are cool about it i mean like i say you can still play it now um it's quite old and dated now it was missing a few like it had but it did have some nice to have so like it had a it had a sort of starting idea of an instance finder where instead of just messaging on chats to look for groups, there was like a way mm. that you could kind of automatically find one. There's something that uh, World of Warcraft now has and lots of MMOs do have, but you know, it was quite early days for that sort of you know quality of life stuff. Other things that are interesting about it, like the PvP, it wasn't really heralded as being that great, but it's an interesting concept. So there is no PvP in lord of the rings online because it doesn't make sense like in the world of lord of the rings like it, it you know you're all working towards a, a sort of common goal in the sense that you're all banded together and you're sort of the races are, are, are sort of trying to at least to be united mm. um, so pvp doesn't necessarily really fit into the world it's sort of a bit of a it's a bit too light-hearted if you like that sort of classic pvp of like you know sort of battlegrounds and things like that mm. So instead, they had PVMP, which was players versus monster players. And so you would take on the role of of a monster in the game and you would have a sort of monster character that was only for PVP that you could play as if you wanted to do PVP. So you split the you split the pvp player base up if you like you took a role it's like do i want to play as my character or do i want to play as a monster Mm. and also that was cool because it meant that because the monsters were like higher if i remember rightly they were like higher level so you could jump Earlier into PvP because you didn't have to be at the end game in order to get involved and have a go at it. And it also kind of cool. gave you
1: incentive to try it out because you didn't have to worry about like your character dying or losing whatever happens when that happens.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think I don't think it was particularly well received as a concept. I think people really wanted more traditional kind of PvP style. But yeah, I don't know. I played a lot of hours of Lord of the Rings online. Tony and I played it together as well. And It was just, you know, I think it was one of the first MMOs that I really committed, you know, a reasonable amount of time to. I didn't play World of Warcraft. Um, Before that, it was like Earth and Beyond, um, which we've talked about before. So yeah, I I played it quite a lot. I didn't get very far. It was also a huge MMO. You know, it took a long time to get to endgame. It was not, you know, this is again back in the days when you really had to like, play an MMO for a long time to mm. get anywhere. Well, This was I sort of, think... like,
1: early WoW days as well. Yeah,
0: exactly. I don't think we even got mounts, the two of us. Like, I don't think we managed to mm. get that far. <laughs> it was so hard. Um, Grinds. Yeah, it was very... It was quite grindy. Well, it but... was
1: when, it, like, MMOs were still very much multiplayer-focused
0: as opposed to just being sort of, like, live-service single-player games. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, like, it's not... the It's sort of... The reason why it fits in in this list for me is that I was surprised at how well it adapted the lore Mm. and the sort of back the 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 source material into a game in a way that wasn't crass just fan service yeah yeah exactly like they actually thought about it and they and the mechanics matched the source material Mm. it wasn't just like an mmo with a lord of the rings skin yeah it's like they actually thought about it
1: like you said they could have very easily have just said well, well you can be a wizard because everyone wants to play as gandalf yeah. right right and you know because people wanted that but then it's like well that doesn't work within the actual story itself yeah. like and it's
0: like one of the classes was like bard as well like it's like you played um you played a or minstrel or whatever like you played a loot and that was like there wasn't like a healer healer it was like you had you could heal, but you were like playing songs and that was how you healed people and rallied them and stuff like that. And it had a, like, you could be like a captain and that would, they would have like the sort of buffs kind of thing, but it's sort of, you know, it didn't have the very, very traditional, like, this is DPS, this is healer, this is tank. Like they sort of had more sort of like amorphous classes as well. That's my, uh, that's my summary of Lord of the Rings Online.
1: Yeah. yeah. I can see why you would have chose that one as well, because I, I remember you sort of like picking it up and I think at the time it was like, yeah, it would be a fun and a Memo to play that isn't World of Warcraft. Yes. <laughs> and then the fact that then it grabbed you further because of how faithfully the source material was adapted is just a kind of icing on the cake sort of thing, which mm. is why it stood out for such a long time for you. Yeah, so, definitely. yeah, I can see, I can see that. It's a, it's a good one. I never really picked it up, but I remember you really enjoying it like back mm. in the day. Well, those are games that we were surprised by. Mm. What were some games that you were surprised by that you picked up and you were like mm. oh wow this is a lot better than i expected or just like you say something that else that surprised you about the game and the fact that how reliably it stick to the to tried and true method of its source material or how it differed from it like you know you were expecting one type of game and got something completely differently mm. you know let us know uh, on all of our social
0: medias yeah absolutely come find us on twitter at Octalfm, or less social but still a contact tool email <laughs> Um, show at octal.fm <laughs> or uh, you can come find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash octal fm and we'll be pleasantly surprised when you tell us what you were surprised oh, by very good very hey. good um and yeah in the meantime i've been gelada and i've been saffron and catch us again for another episode of octal fm very soon